of sin because he's a perfect God, we see it on Jesus on the cross. Jesus, the good news is that Jesus came on a rescue mission for people like me and like you. People who fail. People who don't live up to not only our own standards or society's standards, we definitely don't live up to God's perfect standards. So we failed. And God gave to Jesus the punishment that we deserve. If you've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you may have wondered why God seems to change character midway through. In the Old Testament, he's judging the nations and requiring sacrifices as atonement for sin. Yet in the New Testament, you don't see the same thing. So what happened? Well, Pastor Daniel reminds you today that God didn't change. He's the same. He provided a solution for all of us, his son. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Four Horsemen. As an all-Italian kid from New Jersey, everything about my upbringing was all about family. It was just family all, and a lot of you come from families like that, where it's just like, it's a very tight family unit. And so we always, we had, you know, because in the great immigration to New York in the early 20th century, it's like, you know, the folks from Italy and from Ireland and, and from Israel, there's a huge, you know, migration through Ellis Island into New York. And so, you know, I was in part of that. And so our family was like, lived all around the New York metropolitan area. And we were always together. In the beginning, when they all moved together, they all lived in like the same street. And then like we kind of spread out again and now they all live on the same street again. That's a different discussion for another day. But so much of life was all about family. We'd have family over and then when we weren't having family over, we would go to see everybody. Now, I remember when I was about 10 years old, you know, when you're a 10 year old kid, you think your older cousins are like the coolest people ever, right? It's like, so we, I had cousins who were all in like their, their late teens and their 20s. And growing up, I always loved music and I loved my parents, but my parents' taste in music was not exactly top shelf. My parents were into the easy listening of the 70s. So we listened to a lot of Barbra Streisand, <laughs> Barry Manilow, right? Anyone got the, some of you like the Copacabana, that's my jam, you know? Uh, some Neil Diamond. There was a lot of Christopher Cross. You guys remember that song, Sailing? Yeah, Sailing. Yeah, you guys, see? If, if this is your favorite music, I'm kind of bagging on your music, but you understand. <laughs> But it was like the early 80s, so there was like a good helping of Steely Dan on the radio, which was cool. You know, Steely Dan was cool. They're still cool. But I remember I go to see my cousins, and I wanted to be cool for my cousins, but I just thought that they were the coolest people. So I'd always learn about music from my older cousins. So I'd go see my one cousin. His name was Bobby. And Bobby would always wear tie-dye T-shirts. He played the acoustic guitar, and he loved the Grateful Dead. Right? So every time I see him, he's like, what are you listening to? I'm like, oh, man, my parents. He's like, oh, you're listening to too much Barry Manilow here. Here's the Grateful Dead. And he put it on, and I listen to the Grateful Dead. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I go see my other cousin, my cousin Craig and Kevin. They lived out in Long Island, and, uh, and they had the big hair in the 80s, you know, like Aquanet, like, you know, like now that they killed the ozone layer singularly, you know? And so I'm like, well, you know, and they're like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, 
Oh, my parents, he's like, oh no, Christopher Cross, you know, and, and, and they loved like, they loved like Iron Maiden and Queen and, and Pink Floyd. And so, you know, listen to that stuff and they were cool. And I was 10 and I was like, man, these guys are cool. They have big hair. And so then I went to go, I went to go see my cousin, my other cousin, Robert, and he was from Staten Island. Now, if you know Staten Island, Staten Island can be a little bit of a rough place. Now, my cousin, Robert, he didn't play guitar like all my other cousins, but he was just like, he'd wear a bandana and he was like super muscular. You know, and so and he, and he was just so cool. And he's like, he's like, what are you listening to? And at that point, I learned enough because you know they all like music, and I'm like, oh man, I'm listening to Pink Floyd, The Grateful Dead. I'd never really listened to them other than at my cousin's house, you know. But he's like, oh, you need to hear some real music. And he threw on. At the time, it was a band that nobody knew. They were a band called Metallica, <laughs> right? And I remember, and there was this, the song that that came on was a song called The Four Horsemen. You know, and it was just like, you know, super like, they call it thrash now. I mean, Metallica is like older than my mom, but that's a different discussion. But like back in the day, like nobody heard of him. And, and, like, he, and he would like, pump, he would like lift weights in his room in a bandana. He was super huge. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. Like, I'm like I'm 10 years old. I'm like, you know, 37 pounds soaking wet at that time. And I'm just like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then after he's like done his set, he's sweating. And I'm like, what's this four horsemen thing? And he's like. I don't know. I think it's in the Bible or something. And I was like, oh, you know, so I'm like, okay. And so, but fast forward now, like till I'm in college and I'm starting to walk with Jesus and I'm like, I'm talking to somebody. I'm like, man, how do I grow in my faith? They're like, this is what you do. You, you grab your Bible, you start reading in the New Testament, start in Matthew's gospel, read straight through the New Testament. And then once you get to the end of the New Testament, then start at the beginning of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament and read them both together. So I'm like, okay, so cool. So I'm reading, I'm reading the stories of Jesus. I know now the, the, the gospels. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I never heard a lot of this, but this is interesting. And then I'm reading about the early church, the book of Acts. And I'm like, wow, this is, sounds really, really amazing. You know, and then you get into Paul's letters and things get a little bit more complicated where you're, I'm like, I don't know if I understand this. And, but I'm reading all the letters. And then I get, of course, into the book of Hebrews and I have no clue what's going on. I remember talking to a buddy of mine. He's like, where are you reading right now? I'm like, I'm in Hebrews. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, I have no clue what it means. He's like, yeah, me neither. Just keep going, you know? I mean, we didn't even know what we were doing. But then I remember, and then you get back into Peter's letters and John's letters, and it's all wonderful. And then you land at the book of Revelation. And I'll never forget, by the time I get to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter six, I run into who? The four horsemen of Metallica. Like, I had no clue. And I'm like, I'm reading this. I'm like, wow, like, like, I remember this song, you know what I mean? I remember I, I went back, I had like an old Metallica CD with that, with that song on. I played, I actually played it this week. And the reason I tell you all this is to you know what we're going to learn about today? The four horsemen of Metallica. No, I'm going to be So open up your Bibles, the book of Revelation, chapter six. We're going to take verses one to eight together. We are going to see the four horsemen. But before we get there, now listen, if you brought your Bibles with you, the book of Revelation is the last book in your Bible. So turn it over. Go back a couple pages, find the book of Revelation. If you've been joining with us, you know where it is. And of course, if you are, if you just think paper is oppressive, then just use your phone. You're going to be fine. Just, I don't mind if you, I want you to read along. Now, let me give you a little background because we've been studying the book of Revelation and now we're really entering this section, Revelation 6 to 18, which is really where all the controversy comes in, right? And so we're going to be exploring it and we're going to be seeing what it all means and maybe what it doesn't mean. And we'll talk about things. But it's important to remember where we've been. We've seen already three main sections in the book of Revelation. You see, Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John shares this amazing vision he sees of Jesus, right? 
And then from there, we get to Revelation 2 and 3, where there are these seven letters that are being written to these seven distinct churches. And Jesus is talking to churches about what they're doing well and what needs work. And then by the time you get to Revelation 4 and 5, now the scene moves into heaven. And there's all different things going on in heaven, a lot of praise. But the centerpiece of Revelation 4 and 5 is the fact that on the throne, God is there and he's got this scroll And there's these seals on the scroll. And what we find is that there's only one person who is worthy to be able to take the scroll and open the seals. Who is that person? Jesus, right? And so by the time we get to Revelation chapter 6, now the seals start getting opened. And really what we'll find from Revelation 6 to really 19, because in 19, Jesus comes back. We're going to see these seven seal judgments. And by the time you get to the seven seal, then it starts the seven trumpet judgments, And then by the time you get to the seven trumpet judgment, it opens the seven bowl or vial judgment, depending on how your Bible translates it. And in between these three sets of seven judgments, there's all of these different visions that happen. Now, there's a lot that I need to cover on the top end of this message to help make all of this make sense. But I'm just going to jump on in and kind kind of take it as it comes. So look at what it says in Revelation chapter six, picking up in verse one, it says, now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, Before I get into the first horseman of the apocalypse, I need everyone to focus their eyes on verse one. Now I saw when the lamb opened the seals. Now, this is so important. All the way through this series, I've been saying the same thing over and over again. So I'm gonna say it again, because it's been a couple weeks. The book of Revelation is a revelation of who? Jesus Christ. You cannot miss that the opening of these seal judgments, notice, Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. So these judgments are whose judgments? Jesus's. So we have to remember that everything that's going to be going on with the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the the bowl judgments, all this is going to be coming in in the coming messages. All of this is because of the purposes and plans of Jesus that need to be fulfilled. Now, this is important because what a lot of people do is once we hit this point in the book of Revelation, it's like we don't talk about Jesus too much. It's like, no, each opening of the seal is under the authority of Jesus. So Jesus's purposes and plans are coming to pass with each one of these opening of each one of the seals. And we need to not divorce Jesus from all the stuff that's happening. Now, when we get here, and obviously they're called judgments, right? Like we have the seal judgments. That's what they're commonly called. People are bound to say, and I hear it from people all the time, they're like, I don't understand, first, why the God in the Old Testament seems so angry and bent on judgment. The God in the New Testament is full of grace. Heard that before? It kind of, you read it and you think that. I always like to remind people that God never changes. So God is a God of perfection and justice all the way through the Bible. The difference is, is that in the Old Testament, you see God's judgment playing out in different ways. And in the New Testament, you actually only see God's judgment played out in two things. And because it's localized to two times, it almost feels like God has changed, but he hasn't. One, we see God's judgment in the death of Jesus on the cross. Like all of God's 
hatred of sin because he's a perfect God, we see it on Jesus on the cross. Jesus, the good news is that Jesus came on a rescue mission for people like me and like you, people who failed, people who don't live up to not only our own standards or society's standards, we definitely don't live up to God's perfect standards. So we failed. And God gave to Jesus the punishment that we deserved. So we see God's justice on Jesus at the cross, and then we see God's justice now here in Revelation chapter 6 to 19. So rather than having it scattered through all these different things, now we see it like, here it is. And what you really have is Revelation 6 to 19 shows this is the outcome in a world that has rejected God's grace. So it's not that God became like, used to be angry and then got on some medicine and now he's cool. God has always been exactly the same, but we see it through different lenses. So don't ever think God was really vengeful in the Old Testament and he's really gracious. No, God's always been gracious and he's always been just. Just the lens through which we see it. Now, the other part of this is when people say something to the effect of, I just don't understand how a loving God could bring judgment on the earth, right? And some of you are thinking that. You're like, see, this is the thing. Like, we're in the, you're, okay, you're studying the book of Revelation. There's gonna be these judgments. It's gonna go really nasty. And I just cannot, I, how could I believe in a loving God who would judge the earth? And when I think of that, it makes a lot of sense until you think through the ramifications of what you're saying. Here's what I always like to tell people. Imagine you go to the doctor, right? You just don't feel that great. Or maybe you feel fine, but you get a whole bunch of tests, right? And you go to the doctor, the doctor's like, hey, listen, just so you know, you have a very severe condition and it's called insert whatever. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV, but you know what I mean? It's like insert whatever it is. And the doctor's like, look, this is what you have and you can totally be healed from that. But in order for that, I need to do this, these different surgeries and this thing. And then if, because you have that disease and, and if you take this prescription and, and, and get this work done, you're going to be fine. It's going to be different. And if you say to that doctor, yeah, I don't believe you. I mean, like, why would I need that? I feel fine. What's the problem? If that untreated condition progresses and gets worse to the point where you begin to suffer and then ultimately you die, can you blame the doctor for what happened? No. And that's exactly what people are doing with Jesus today. Because God is saying, listen, you have a terminal illness. It's called sin. It's not even your fault. You got it from your parents and your parents got it from their parents all the way back to that. That's the disease. And here, there is a prescription. There's a way to, to fix that disease. It's called salvation by grace through the finished work of Jesus. And he's saying, and if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, all of the ramifications of what that disease is, you will not gonna, you're not gonna experience it. And when people say, yeah, I don't want Jesus, what you end up with is when the world functions in a way outside of the way it was created, at some point, the creating and sustaining God says, now it's time to wind this thing down. And that's really what you see in Revelation chapter six. God is saying, I've gone as long as I could. Some of you parents know what this is like, where if you have a wayward child who is destructive, where you try and help, you try and help, you bend over backwards, and at some point you're like, okay, this can't continue anymore. And God, the Bible says, is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so really what it is, is that we're right now living in a day and age of grace, 
where God is saying, I am not willing that people to be lost, so I'm holding back, winding this thing down so that people can come to know me. And at some point, really, at some point, Revelation 6.1 happens, and now God is saying, okay, this has gone on long enough. Now it's time to wind this thing down so I can make it right again. Does that make sense? So God is not just with vengeance bringing judgment on the earth because he doesn't care about people. He has already said, this is the disease, this is the cure. But he hits a point where he's like, listen, you don't want what's going to help you, and this is going to go the way it goes when it goes this way. And so God is glorified in his judgment, but God is even more glorified in the fact that he is patient in his judgment because he wants to bring redemption. Does that make sense? So really, Revelation 6.1, now this moment, Jesus receiving the scroll and popping the first seal, this is now a turn in history where now all of a sudden, God's winding down his creation the way that it's functioning. Now, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I do know that until it happens, the job of the people of God is exactly the same. Like, listen, like, I love studying scriptures. And, I, and I've been, I'm part of a, a family of churches where you hear prophecy updates all the time. What's funny is I've heard hundreds of prophecy updates. And what's amazing is, is all the stuff, most of it doesn't actually happen the way the guy thinks it is. They're just reading the news and they're kind of reading it into the scriptures. But what is funny is that every time I wake up and Jesus hasn't come back yet, I'm like, my job is exactly the same today. I got to love God and love people. I got to get the gospel out. Like, we get so caught up on all the details that we miss, like, hey, our job is exactly the same, to be the people of God, to be salt and light in the world. Does that make sense? And until the first seal starts, it's like a different era of human history where now you're at the point where, like, this thing is going to wind down. It's like less than a decade of time from the time the first seal shows up to the time that Jesus comes back. Now, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I do know that we should be living our lives the right way, not because time is winding down, but because it's the right thing to do. And it's what we're called to by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. You want to clap? That's good, right? That's some Bible for you. Okay. So now we jump in. Now, how many of you remember the four living creatures? Okay, some of you. We, we, we met them in Revelation 4 and 5. There's these four living creatures. They're angels. They got uh, all different faces, four different faces. They got a bunch of wings, all eyes. I always like to say, how awkward would that be if someone's all eyes? You know what I mean? But each one of these angels, when Jesus opens the seal, one of these four living creatures from Revelation 4 and 5 says to John, come and see. And then John is able to see. So the first one, look, verse 2, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, because I want to give you good biblical interpretation, what does this mean? Well, the first horseman of the apocalypse is the conqueror on the white horse. It's pretty good Bible, isn't it? It says, and I looked and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So really what we have is the first horseman is the conqueror on the white horse. Now, the question always becomes is, well, who is this first person on the first horse? And anyone know the answer? We don't know. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say so. 
As I always tell you, listen, the best biblical interpretation I can give you is when the Bible is silent, what should we be? Silent also. We want certainty about everything, and we have a lot of certainty in a lot of things, but oftentimes, especially the book of Revelation, I've never seen pastors who take the Bible seriously be more creative than when you get to the book of Revelation. It's like all of a sudden they become artists. Like they, they find their second grade self and like, ooh, look at this. And, and they just start making stuff up. And you're just like, wow. Like I've heard, I've read Bible commentaries, hundreds of them. I've listened to tons of pastors. And it's amazing how everyone's all over the place with it. It doesn't tell us exactly who this is. Now, what is interesting though, is a lot of commentators would say, and if you held me down and tickled me and made me say what I actually thought, I would probably say, there's probably a good chance this is the Antichrist, who we call the Antichrist. Now, I'll show you why. First, notice that he's on a white horse. If you know the book of Revelation at all, when Jesus returns, what kind of horse is he riding? A white horse. Now, this guy has a bow. When Jesus returns, he has a sharp two-edged sword. Jesus has a crown when he returns. This guy has a crown, but Jesus' crown is the Greek word diadem, which is the crown of a ruler. This guy's got a crown. Remember the Stephanos crown, the crown of the temporary victor? He's got a Stephanos crown. But this guy's going out conquering and to conquer. Now, what's fascinating about all of this is that there's two things that I want to say. First, of course, we know that the Bible talks about someone called the Antichrist. He's all through the scriptures and really in the book of Revelation. And what's interesting is the Antichrist is a His goal is to deceive people. He's going to get tremendous power, but he doesn't do it through violence. He actually does it through peace. So if you really look at what the Bible says about the Antichrist, it'll begin with a time of peace. And then in the middle of the time of peace, it will turn and like the Antichrist's true motives will be revealed. And then you'll see what they really are. But what's interesting about this, and and we'll see this all the way through, is that the fact that this guy is on a white horse, it's like Satan is only good at counterfeiting what God is doing. And we'll get later in the book of Revelation and there's, you know, you have like Satan and then the Antichrist and the guy they call the false prophet, you know? So they, like, just as God is father, son, and spirit, Satan's got his own like little satanic trinity that he's trying to counterfeit. And it's just a good reminder that oftentimes the way Satan works is he actually works by trying to give you enough truth, but a little lie. Like there's that old saying, like a half truth is is a whole lie. But so much of the ways Satan has worked historically to undermine the gospel and the people of God is to have a lot of things that are true and a couple of things that are jacked up. And because there's enough biblical truth in it, people grab onto it and they miss the kind of the, the species of deception that are caught within it. Now, I don't think we should be the kind of people who, you know, we already live in a world that's exceedingly judgmental. Everyone's looking down on everybody and everyone's evil. But I think that we just need to make sure, I always tell our, our staff, we keep the Bible in the right hand of strength. We let the Bible be the, the true north, the measuring rod. And we make sure that we don't get caught up in biblical doctrines that are like, they take one verse out of context, they run out there, this is the way it's supposed to be. Almost always when someone's really angry about a doctrine, it's always one verse taken out of context. And we t- when you bring up all the other verses, they're like, oh, wait, hold on, no, 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 oh, no, 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 this all matters, right? So we need to hear the Bible in context helps us. As with many passages you'll encounter in Revelation, in the entire Bible really, there's parts that don't completely make sense, and there's information that's left out. But as Pastor Daniel reminded you again today, that's okay. 
you don't need to know or even fully understand everything right now. God has given you his word to teach you what he wants you to learn. That includes revelation. So ask him to reveal what he wants you to be aware of right now. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue to discuss the four horsemen found in Revelation. But he'll also talk about human nature. He'll remind you that sin, no matter how big or how small, needs to be dealt with. It's an offense to God, your perfect creator, and it's keeping you from him. But there's a way to fix the sin in your life and to avoid the coming judgment. You need Jesus. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called A Year of Revelation. Next time. Until then, may God bless.